Heavenly Father, it is a great privilege to be able to gather on this Lord's Day, this day where we remember so many years ago that your Son was raised to life. Oh Lord, it is indeed your day, and we pray that we would rejoice and be glad in it. As we consider your word this morning, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand what you have said to your people centuries, millennia ago, and Lord, we pray that it would edify us as we seek to serve you now. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through the book of Hosea together, and last week in particular we started to see many images were given as to how the Israelites had been sinning against God and the way that they were described, the different metaphors that were used to show the Israelites how terrible their sin is. And so we've come to Hosea chapter 8, and we've got a, another illustration that I wanted to concentrate on today. I just wanted to concentrate on one in particular that is given to us in chapter 8, verse 7. And so I encourage you to have your church Bibles open there before you uh, to page 894, page 894. And we see an image given to the Israelites in verse 7 of chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 7, we read, They, that's the Israelites, sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no head, it will produce no flower. Were it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. The Lord is trying to help the Israelites to understand how terrible their sin is and the judgment that is coming. And the image given in verse 7 is one of sowing wind and only reaping a whirlwind. God is saying that if you continue the way you are, what you are doing is sowing wind. You're like a farmer out in his field, and instead of putting down something that's good that will produce a good crop, it's like you're throwing nothing into the air, and it is landing on the ground, and then it's not surprising that nothing is produced from nothing. Another way that you could actually translate this is that they are sowing during the wind and then reaping during a whirlwind. Would be, which would be another good illustration of what the Israelites are doing with their sin. Imagine you go out to sow in your field and it's windy conditions. So you throw the seed out onto the field and the wind just picks it up and carries it into your neighbor's field possibly and he ends up reaping the benefits of what you're sowing. Sowing during windy conditions and then imagine that you do get a crop and you go out during a whirlwind to try and bring it in you wouldn't be able to bring much into your storehouses as a result. So what are the Israelites doing in particular that is a sowing of the wind and then reaping a whirlwind? Well, we're given two things that they are shown to be trusting in in this passage, which is indeed sin against the Lord, which is like sowing the wind and reaping the whirlwind. What is one thing that they are sowing wind by? Well, it's by trusting idols. We see in this text that they trust idols. In verse 4, we read, They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. Throw out your calf idol, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity? They're from Israel. This calf, a craftsman, has made it. It is not God. It will be broken in pieces, that calf of Samaria. God is saying to these Israelites, when you trust in idols, it is a sowing of wind. It is as fruitless an activity as going out into your field and scattering wind 
and hoping to get something out of it. And we see in other parts of the Bible that it does indeed warn that sowing of idols, trust in idols, does bring nothingness and it does. it is like a wind and confusion. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 29 says, See, they are all false, their deeds amount to nothing, their images are but wind and confusion. When you trust in an idol, it is like sowing wind. And then it brings a whirlwind when danger comes along. When danger comes into your life, if you've trusted in an idol, a man-made image, what protection does it offer you? Does an idol get up when suffering comes into your life and protect you? If there's someone who's attacking you, does the idol hop off its pedestal and tell the other person they'd better watch out, leave you alone? An idol is just a man-made object. It's just material that's there and it's stuck there. It cannot defend you. There's actually a stab is given at idols earlier in the the book of Hosea, which we didn't focus on too heavily. We've been moving fairly swiftly through the book. Hosea chapter 4, verse 12. Hosea chapter 4, verse 12. It's a bit of an odd placement of the verse number there. You can see verse 12 of Hosea chapter 4 says, Of my people, and then the sentence, uh, a new sentence begins, and they says, They consult a wooden idol and are answered by a stick of wood. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. They, they consult a wooden idol. And what answer does a wooden idol give you? Well, as much answer as you get from a stick of wood. Do you go out and see a stick on the ground and consult it and ask, what should I do? You might do. What sort of answer will you get from a stick of wood? You get no answer whatsoever. And that is the foolishness of idol worship. It is a sowing of wind. It's a useless activity. And then you shouldn't be... Expect, uh, shouldn't be uh, uh, confused when a whirlwind comes into your life and the, and the idol that you've trusted in does nothing to prevent the whirlwind. What is the other way that the Israelites are sowing to the wind? Well, it's by trusting not just in idols, but trusting in foreign nations. And we see this again and again in the book of Hosea, and we see it here in verse 8 and following. Verse 8, after it speaks about sowing of the wind in verse 7, it says in verse 8, Israel is swallowed up, now she is among the nations, like a worthless thing. For they have gone up to Assyria. They've gone to Assyria like a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has sold herself to lovers. Although they have sold themselves among the nations, I will now gather them together. They'll begin to waste away under the oppression of the mighty king. Israel, when it had times of trouble... Rather than trusting in the Lord for deliverance, sought out the help of other nations. And one of the nations that they sought out help from was Assyria. They looked to the nation of Assyria that they would be able to deliver them from their distress. But was that a fruitful trust? Did sowing trust in Assyria bring them great blessing? No, it brought them a whirlwind. Uh, and we see this in the Old Testament. If you look at the history of Israel, you see that their trust in Assyria actually brought their destruction to them. Look with me now at Second Kings chapter 17, which is page 377. You have to go back a few pages uh, from Hosea. Chapter 17 of Second Kings, page 377. Page 377. And this chapter records the end of Israel as a nation. Uh, Of course, Judah continues and is eventually destroyed by Babylon. But Israel has had a 
uh, history with Assyria, trusting Assyria, being uh, servants of Assyria. And so in chapter 17, verse 1, we realise what they have been trusting in. Verse 1, look with me now, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, we read, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. Shalamaneser, king of Assyria, came up to attack Hoshea, who had been Shalamaneser's vassal and had paid him tribute. So he'd been paying him tribute in the past, trusting in Assyria. And what did they get him? Well, but the king of Assyria discovered that Hoshea, this is verse 4, was a traitor, for he had sent envoys to So, king of Egypt, and he no longer paid tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore Shalamaneser seized him and put him in prison. The king had been trusting in Egypt now. And what did that result in? Well, Assyria came and put him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, we read in verse 5, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in, the, in Hala, in Gozran, on the Habor River, and in the towns of the Medes. And that was the end of Israel, pretty much. After that, I mean, some people do get to come back from the Babylonian exile. A lot were destroyed at this time. Some, of course, would have fled to the kingdom of Judah. And so that's why they were able to survive. But a lot of them were destroyed. A lot of them were killed and then sent out into the nations. They sowed wind and reaped a whirlwind by trusting in Assyria, by trusting in foreign nations. They brought great judgment upon themselves. So what should Israel have sown in? What should they have been sowing? What should they have been doing? Well, we learn in Hosea chapter 8 that they should have been sowing obedience to God's law. Chapter 8 of Hosea, page 894. Turn with me there again, page 894. We read in verse 1, the trumpet to your lips, an eagle is over the house of the Lord, because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my Lord. They have law. They have been should have been trusting in God's covenant. They should have been trusting in God's law, trusting in God Himself. And verse twelve teaches that they should have been trusting in the law of God. Verse twelve says, "I wrote for them the many things of my law, but they regarded them as something alien. God gave them His law." But what did they treat it as? Something alien. We're not trusting in this document. We're not going to sow our trust in this God. And they should have been doing good and not evil. And we see that in verse 3. But Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. But the Israelites should have been trusting in God. That would have been a good use of their time. Sowing a trust in God that would not have reaped a whirlwind, but instead they trusted idols, they trusted foreign nations. Now, a question for us this morning is Are you sowing to the wind? Are you sowing wind in your life? And are you in danger of reaping a whirlwind? What are you trusting in to make you happy? In times of distress, where does your trust turn to for deliverance? What are the idols that you may be trusting? What are the foreign nations that you may be looking to for deliverance? Well, I think as I consider the Australian culture and the temptations in my own heart of what I would like to trust in this world instead of the Lord, 
is one of the things that we often turn to in trust is, of course, money. We put our first allegiance to money. We look at having an ever-increasing bank account to give us safety in this world. And we do that by working constantly, bartering for the best bargain, underpaying where possible, stealing if we can get away with it, cheating on our taxes, suing others so that we can get some of what they have and bring it over into our bank account, and even just pinning our hopes on gambling. It's an interesting statistic that I was able to look up this week that Australians spent, spent $23 billion in 2015 on gambling. $23 billion on gambling in one year. Whereas they spent $19 billion on recreation. Think of that, recreation, movies, video games, all the other entertainments that we have in our culture, $19 billion in one year, $23 billion on gambling. What does that tell you about the Australian public and their interest in money? That they're interested in money as a way of trust, that they trust that money will solve their problems. When they're in distress, they place their trust in cash, that that will take away their issues. What else do we struggle with in this world? What do we like to trust in? Well, we don't just trust in money, we like to trust in people. When we have a problem, we often look to other humans to be able to deliver us from those issues. If I just have the right spouse, then I will be able to have a happy and productive life. If I just have the right friends, then I will be able to have a good life and they will deliver me from my problems. Some people actually think that politicians will deliver them from their problems. If we just have the right political party in office, everything will be okay. Maybe a minority party, maybe one of the bigger parties. But I trust that if we get that political party into office, our problems will be solved, at least here in Australia. And so I think these are the two of the biggest issues that we like to trust in in Australia. Money and other people. And putting trust in such people is indeed hard work. It is sowing. To put your trust into other people, you've got to and to put your trust in money. It's a great burden, even trying to get money through, legitimate, uh, through illegitimate purposes. Uh, getting it through legitimate means, working very hard to get money. It's uh, indeed hard work. It is a sowing in itself. And, of course, getting it through illegitimate means can be quite difficult as well. I've actually heard stories of people who have worked so hard in trying to get money through illegitimate purposes, they would have been far better just going through the legitimate system. The amount of stress they were causing, the amount of hours they were putting in to get money through different schemes, particularly I've heard of the ones where they're the pyramid schemes, the Fonzie uh, schemes, uh, it, it takes a lot of work. And you've got to keep deluding people. Ponzi scheme, that's the one. Ponzi's a whole other issue. Yeah, Ponzi schemes. There was one uh, recently, these guys were working overtime trying to keep the whole scheme going. They would have been far better investing their time in legitimate business. It's hard work sowing trust in money. And it's hard work sowing trust in people. You've got to constantly be building the relationships with them, making sure they're on your side, always facilitating with them. And if it's politicians, you've got to be working hard to try and make sure that they're doing the right thing and evaluating them and lobbying them, making sure they hear your voice and getting other people to lobby them so that they will hear their voices so that they will do the right thing. It's hard work. 
sad thing is, sowing such trust in money and people reaps a whirlwind in the end. The more money you have, the more cares you often have. The more money I have, the more I start to worry about interest rates and inflation. The more money I have, the more I worry about someone trying to take it off me through suing me. It's not like all your cares go away the bigger your bank account gets. There are some people who have a lot of money. There's always someone trying to sue them. Some family member coming out of the woodwork trying to get money out of them. It's not like the bigger your bank account, the less problems you have. The more lawyers you usually have to employ, the more money you have. And the more you trust in people, the more damage is done when those people hurt you. People are fickle. One day they can love you, the next day, for no necessarily good reason, they turn against you. And that political party that you loved being in office and was doing all the right things, they take some a, a term or two and they're out of office. And you've got to put up with somebody else undoing all the work that that person did. You see that with every American president. There's all these executive orders that the previous president put into place. Next president comes in, boom, 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 all those ex- executive orders are completely dismissed. Putting your trust in people brings you often more care in this world than taking away the cares of this world. And we've got to remember that one day everything that you trust in in this world will be taken away altogether. There is a fiery judgment coming. The Bible has warned about it. There is one great whirlwind to end all whirlwinds. And all the money that you have accrued over your lifetime, all the friendships and relationships that you have built up, and all those people who have got your back, there's a judgment coming, and it will claim all of them. The money will be burned up and useless. And those relationships you have with people, many of them will be completely removed as they are taken away in fiery judgment. So what should you be sowing trust in instead of money and people? Well, of course, you should be sowing trust in Jesus Christ, the living God. And Jesus gives a good illustration of a similar type of uh, illustration to what we have here in Hosea in Matthew chapter 7. Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 7, page 961, 961, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Page 961 of the Black Church Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, where Jesus has been preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He said many things and he ends his sermon with this illustration. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Very similar illustration to what we hear in Hosea. Jesus says, if you take my words and put them into practice, if you trust me and do what I command, then you're like a wise man building your house upon the rock. And when the storm comes, your house remains. Whereas if you are foolish enough to hear my words and not put them into practice, 
You're like a man who builds his house upon the sand. And one day, everything that you have built up will come down with a great crash. And so I want to encourage you this morning to heed the words of Jesus and put them into practice. Start trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. Salvation from the whirlwind to come primarily. There is a judgment coming. And the biggest bank account you have in the world will not save you from that judgment. Many connections you may form with people in this world will not save you from that judgment. The only thing that will save you from that judgment is Jesus Christ. You need to start trusting him today. Take his words, heed them and put them into practice. Start trusting in his death as a payment for your sins so that when the whirlwind comes, you will be fine. You will be able to survive because you have sown trust in Jesus rather than sown trust to the wind. The, wind, the things of these world, this world. So if you're not a Christian, I encourage you this morning, start trusting in Jesus today. It is a good act of sowing to put your trust in Christ and will bring you great benefit. And if you are a Christian, I encourage you to remember that you will reap what you sow too. Now, if you've sown in Jesus Christ, if you've sown your trust in him, you will reap Jesus Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. You will reap eternal life through Jesus Christ. But we've got to remember that as a Christian, there's an ongoing sowing that we need to be doing as a Christian, that there are many things that we're instructed by Jesus to do that will bring us benefit in the next life if we simply follow his words. And the passage that we had read for us before from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 illustrates this so marvelously. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I ask you to turn with me there again, page 1,129. Page 1,129, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'll read from verse 8. We have a similar sowing illustration to begin with, and then a similar building illustration to the one that Jesus has given us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. We are all workers in God's field, remember? And we will be rewarded according to his own labor, to your own labour, it says in verse 8. And then we have this illustration given in verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. See this stern warning given by the Apostle Paul to Christians. Be careful how you build. We all have a foundation, which is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation by which you can survive other than Jesus Christ. But you've got to be careful of what you do on top of that foundation of Jesus Christ. Because a fire is coming and it will test everybody's work. And if what you are built with is precious stones and gold and things that last, 
then that will survive and you'll be rewarded accordingly in the next life. But if what you've been using to build is like wood and hay and straw, it will be burned up. You'll be one who escapes through the flames with your soul, yes, but all those things that you've done will be burned up and taken away and you will not receive reward. And so there's a stern warning from Hosea that's picked up in other parts of the Bible as well. It's all there. That you can use your time constructively as a Christian or you can use your time destructively and not be rewarded for what you've done. You can trust in Christ and put more and more of his words into practice or you can trust in Christ and overlook a lot of his words and not put them into practice. I encourage you, think over your hours of the last week. Did you use your time constructively? Did you heed the words of Jesus Christ and put them into practice? If Jesus had been sitting on the couch this week in your home, watching TV with you, would you have been ashamed of what you were sowing with your time? That you were sowing your mind with the things that were on that television set? If Jesus had sat next to you at your desk as you're browsing the internet, would he have been watching you listen to his words and put them into practice? Or would you have been ashamed to have him there at the desk with you? If Jesus had sat at the dining table this week while you were having a family dinner and he watched you interact with your family, your spouse, with other people, would he have seen that you were listening to his words and putting them into practice? Or would you have been ashamed to have him at the dinner table there and hear how you were speaking to others? As you interacted with people at work, would you have been ashamed to have Jesus following you around? Some people, when they go to work these days, they employ life coaches who follow them around, evaluate them in their work and observe everything and then give them feedback on how they're doing and what else they could do. It's an interesting career path for someone to choose to be a life coach. Imagine if Jesus was like a life coach, following you around, watching how you interact with your employees or your co-workers, watching how you do your work at your desk. Would he have seen that you were sowing well with your time, that you were listening to his words and putting them into practice? When you're at the shops, swiping your credit card and purchasing different things, would Jesus, if he was there watching how you're spending the money that he has granted you, would he have been pleased with what you were doing? Would you have so shown that you were sowing the things that he has given you well? Or would you have been sowing to the wind? And I want you to just consider, not if it was a sinful use of time. It's very clear that sometimes when you're on the internet or watching TV or interacting with people, that you are indeed sinning. There's other times where you're not particularly sinning, but it's not particularly a good use of time. Is it actually productive, what you're doing? Is it the best possible thing that you could be doing? We've got to be doing things in our lives that increase our faith in Jesus Christ. And that means listening to his word and putting it into practice. Yes, we have faith in God, but we need to cultivate further faith in Christ. We can always have more faith in Jesus Christ. 
And we need to be like that wise man, building his house upon the rock, rather than being the foolish man, being, building his house upon the sand, so that it ends up crashing one day. We have tremendous resources in Australia at our disposal. We have so much free time in comparison to many people around the world who may not even get one day off a week. Feel, feel like it's oppressive to us when we have to work six days in one week. Some people never get a single day off. We have so much time at our disposal. We have so much leisure time in the evenings. We have so many worldly possessions and resources here. Are we using them well? Are we sowing them well? Or are we sowing wind instead? And children, consider this as well. Consider the use of your time. Children, you have more play time than most adults as well. You have a lot of time where you can be using that to cultivate trust in Jesus, to listen to what he has to say and to put into practice what he does, uh, He tells you to do. It's not long before you're able to read, to hear the words of Jesus in the Bible and to start to put those words into practice. Now, why is it worth sowing more trust in God? Some people would say, don't I get heaven anyway? If I'm a Christian and I have the faith like a little child, isn't that enough? Why should I bother increasing my faith? Why should I bother doing what Jesus wants me to do? As long as I trust in him, everything will be okay. I don't really need to listen to his law because, let's face it, doing the things that Jesus commands us to do, a lot of them are pretty hard. They take a lot of work. And when I've done them once, I, I find the next day I've got to do them again. And it doesn't get any easier sometimes. And then I find new things that I didn't know I had a problem with before, but now they're there and this is hard. Why bother? Well, we've got to remember those illustrations given to us that there is reward to come. Yes, we'll escape as one through flames if you trust in Jesus as the faith of a little child. And that's a wonderful truth for us to remember that our salvation depends upon a simple childlike faith. But we should be wanting to reap as well a good a reward in heaven as we can. If you sow nothing, what do you reap? Nothing. If you sow wind, you reap nothing. If you sow trivial things all through your life, if you watch trivial TV for the rest of your life, what will you reap? You'll reap triviality itself. But if you sow well, you reap great glory. This is the promise of God. Do you really want a heavenly reward that you could have to be swallowed up? All you've worked for over your life to become worthless in the end? It's terrible when in this world you find something that you've worked very hard at and then it's swallowed up and it's worthless. I first remember experiencing this. One of my early memories is in high school where you know, computers were still really, relatively new in that time, you know, showing my age a little, written this big essay and didn't save it properly and it disappeared and there was no comeback, there was no uh, backup systems like we sometimes have today. It was gone, and I had to rewrite the whole essay again. It was awful to know that I put all this time and effort into it, and I couldn't tell the teacher, oh, sorry, I actually, it, it disappeared from the computer. I'm not really sure how. Um, I'm sure I saved it, but it wasn't there. 
No, I had to do it all over again. It was awful experience. And I've done that subsequently with email. Sometimes you're writing this email, you get it all done, and oh, it's wonderful. And then, oh, somehow the internet connection didn't work properly, disappeared, again, gone. Oh, no, now I've got to write it all over again. It's an awful feeling to have worked so hard at something then to see it destroyed. There's an illustration of this from history uh, with the Nazis and a Greek concentration camp. They had a concentration camp in Greece with uh, prisoners of war in it. And the camp inmates were put to labour in two four-hour shifts each day. So each day, they had two four-hour shifts. What were they to do? The labour was not intended for any productive purposes, but merely to break the prisoners' morale. They were made to dig holes and then refill them, build walls and then break them down. The Nazis knew that they could break the morale of people if they got them to do heavy labour and then destroy the work that they had done. Imagine that, dig a really big hole, takes you hours and hours to do it, and then once you've actually accomplished something, someone tells you, okay, now fill it back in. And the next day you get up, dig a deep hole, in the morning, in the afternoon, fill it back in. What are you doing the next morning? Build this wall. Let's build a big wall. Build it up in the afternoon, knock it all down. It breaks your morale to work hard at something and then see it go up in smoke. And that is the warning of Scripture to you this morning. You can sow wind again and again through your life and it will reap you nothing. We as Christians have to be very careful that we are sowing what will last for eternity, that we are hearing the words of Jesus and putting them into practice. One thing to hear the words. It's another thing to put them into practice. But if we do, we will reap great reward, is the promise of God. So God has promised that your life will be weighed one day. The question you need to ask is, will my life be found to be wanting? Let's come before God now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words from Hosea so many years ago where your people who should have been worshipping you, who should have been trusting you, were instead sowing wind and reaping a whirlwind. They were trusting idols, man-made objects, and they were trusting humans to keep them safe when they should have been trusting you, the living God. And we see this in our own hearts all too easily. It's easy to trust the things of this world, particularly money, It's easy to trust the people of this world instead of trusting you. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to firstly and foremostly have you as our trust, that you would be the object of all our trust. And, Lord, we pray that as we trust Jesus Christ for salvation, we would then continue to hear his words and put them into practice. May we build well upon him as a foundation. May we do what he says, no matter how hard, because we want one day not to reap a whirlwind that destroys all our work, but instead reap great reward from you, our Heavenly Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.